inspiring piece of music. I now welcome to the WPKN microphones and to our first uh, day of Black History Month celebration here at WPKN, Bishop John Selders. John, are you with us? I am here. Um, Good evening and uh, hello everybody there in the WPKN listening audience. Glad to be with you. Yes. Did you know that? Do you know that song that I just played? I do. and, And I happen to know the artist. (laughs) <laughs> um, even more, Nina Simone. Yeah. And um, that's that song is uh, when I was growing up as a young, just a wee young lad in those days, um, uh, that was one of the anthems of, of the neighborhood of the movement in the mm-hmm. community, just as much as said loud, don't, don't, I'm black and I'm proud, James Brown. So, yeah. yes, of course I know that song. <laughs> yeah, I, I I sort of suspected that you did, but I wanted to welcome you with that music because it just sort of sets me into the right mood to, to, you know, share with you some thoughts. And uh, just to introduce you properly, uh, the Right Reverend Dr. John Selders, Jr., is an ordained minister serving in the United Church of Christ, He's the organizing pastor of the Amistad United Church of Christ in Hartford and co-founder of Moral Mondays, Connecticut, about which we'll hear some more uh, anon. He's the former associate college chaplain uh, and current dean of students and coordinator of community standards at Trinity College in Hartford. And for the past 15 years, he served as executive director for the Zazo House which is an 18-unit housing project in Hartford, Connecticut. But to start off, Bishop Selders, for those people who haven't heard you before, and you've been on my show, I'm going to say, three or four times, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your mission is, and especially with an emphasis on Moral Mondays, Connecticut, which obviously has some relationship to Moral Mondays in North Carolina with uh, Reverend William Barber, but what your mission here is locally and something about how you connected to this struggle. Well, I guess that's kind of a dumb question. (laughs) You are in the struggle. You have been in the struggle since probably the first day you came aware of the racial and political situation in this country. But tell us a little bit about where you've been and, and, and what this moral Mondays Connecticut is up to. Sure. Sure. I am. I am a product of three generations of classically trained black Pentecostal preachers. I grew up in the church. Uh, My mother uh, says uh, um, that when I was in her belly, in her womb, she said, um, and uh, and she'd get to church and I'd start jumping inside her. So there's, 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 been, um, uh, there's been something certainly um, that I've been connected to before I was born. My grandfather was a, a bishop and a pastor and a leader in his um, particular denomination. Um, I have, um, you know, my dad and all the people I know 
uh, in my family in, 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 in the number of generations and number of lines of my uh, family tree. Um, there's church, church leadership and, and community activism um, there. So, yes, I am, as I often re- reference, I'm like, Guido, you know, I have the family business, you know. So I, I picked up the family business. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'll say, I'll say in, in this most recent iteration, um, I became very um, passionate and moved um, at in the response to what happened in my hometown. I'm from St. Louis originally, and I grew up in the town just west of uh, a place we all know now, Ferguson. And so when when the incident, April 9th, uh, 2014, uh, when Mike Brown Jr. was gunned down by... Uh, bullets from um, Officer Darren Wilson of the Ferguson Police Department. Um, it, it touched me in a way uh, much like what happened in Newtown uh, touched us here in Connecticut. And there was a way in which that particular incident moved among us um, in this, in a similar fashion, watching the, the images coming from the streets um, that I learned how to drive, the streets that I have known since my earliest, um, propelled us to go home. And my wife and I, we were both born there. My children were born in St. Louis, by the way. And um, we were involved in the movement. Uh, and and it, it is that movement um, that the, the what was formerly known as just a hashtag took on legs and feet and became a movement. Uh, we now call it Black Lives Matter. And so that's a little bit about me and and what happened in Ferguson and our work there uh, translated to uh, conversations that, that began to happen here in um, Hartford, where I live, and then, of course, across the state and in Connecticut, um, that led to the forming of what we now call Moral Monday Connecticut. And yes, I've known um, Bishop you know, William Barber, and I w- was very uh, keenly aware of the movement that was that began in North Carolina. And so um, we connected to that movement, um, that kind of broad-based social justice activism movement. That that for them in North Carolina, it was it was voter suppression and voting rights, uh, and and of course the the full range of housing and mass incarceration and jobs, education. Um, we wanted to link uh, our work uh, in in a similar fashion, and we did uh, to this kind of broader national work that was going on. But also, um, we linked and connected um, that broader social justice movement to um, Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives, and we called the first um, Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, rally and ultimately arrest in in Hartford uh, in 2015, and we've been we've been going at it ever since. Thank you for that, Bishop Selders. Tell us a little bit about how you are crafting and using the Moral Mondays Connecticut program. I mean, it, do you have a strategy for? including people. I know one of the miraculous results of, of, of the talent of Reverend Barber is that he, he brings together the issues not just of race but of class. And he talks about poverty as being uh, something that people of all colors experience. And he talks about, you know, the oppression of uh, LGBT 
communities and that they are also welcome in the movement. What sort of strategies have, have you used here to try to expand the movement for civil rights locally? Well, I, I think we've connected to what was was really crafted, not by Reverend Barber or me or anybody else uh, of, of this generation. These this what I look to and who I look to um, to provide guidance and 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 a way forward, a playbook, if you will, is is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself in his um, um, book um, or what was then the letter from a Birmingham jail. He outlines what it what the work was um, there in Birmingham uh, and why he was there in Birmingham and. He wrote that letter in response to uh, clergy persons um, of the, the region and the area that, that, that had asked him, okay, Reverend King, we know there are problems here, but you're taking us too fast. Could you just wait? And he, he said he could no longer wait. So we get very famous quotes from that, you know, uh, you know, we're tied together in a, a mutual garment of destiny. Um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And, 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 and those things are what helps us to craft what he later talked about uh, um, as he as he dreamed, not of a day of racial harmony, <laughs> as he began to pretend to look forward uh, toward what it might mean, in fact, to establish a beloved community. And so, um, Reverend Barber and I, we've had we've had hours and hours of conversation, um, and and others uh, who are who are because it's just not Reverend Barber and us. There there are folks all across this country who've been organizing under the Poor People's Campaign uh, and a call for 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 a moral imperative, a moral ideology, a progressive um, um, movement that says. We are all inclusive. We are all in the struggle for freedom, justice, and 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 the, and the right to do that. That that's upheld, by the way, in our founding documents, even while our founding fathers weren't living it out. You mentioned uh, Martin Luther King, and, I, and this might be a really good time to focus on the fact that we just celebrated his uh, his birthday. And as usual, the media tends to reduce Martin Luther King down to one or two speeches or even phrases from those speeches. And those are then seized upon by politicians of all stripes, from the uh, progressives to all the way to the most extreme right-wingers who want to use his words to justify extending racial inequality, really. I mean, Republicans that I, I blush to even mention their names, but definitely not supporters of civil rights or voting rights or economic equality, equity. He kept repeating the phrase, uh, a man should be judged. Martin Luther King said a man should be judged by the his character and not the color of his skin. And so therefore, you know, critical race theory and teaching young white people about the history of the country, which includes the tragedy of slavery, it's not necessary because, you know, that, 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 that's hurting white people, you know, young white people. It's, it's, it's going to damage their uh, education and their evolution as people. As we consider the depth of what Martin Luther King 
the, the evolution that he went through to arrive at the point of the speech he gave at, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the name, of it. Saint, was it St. Patrick? Not, not St. Patrick's Cathedral, but it was, in, it was one year, literally. Riverside Church. Riverside Church. Riverside Thank Church. you. Thank you for that. Yeah, a year before he was murdered, where he spoke against the Vietnam War, and he declared the United States to be the greatest purveyor of violence on the planet. And in doing so, he broke through a barrier into a new universe of courage that he was able to tap into. And he alienated many of his liberal supporters, his white sort of moderate liberal supporters, and even people in the black civil rights movement who were afraid that he was going to alienate the allies. But there's one thing I... I always think about when I go to an event where they're celebrating his life. And I remember the last time that happened, I was at the Peabody Museum. I think I was performing with, with my uh, percussion group. And, uh, you know, they, it was on Martin Luther King Day, and they, we had a celebration. And, uh, you know, the usual kind of homilies were stated. But to me, at that, at that moment, it occurred to me, what would the world be like today if Martin Luther King had not been assassinated. You know, how many wars, um, police killings, school shootings, atrocious U.S. foreign military adventures, and on and on, would have been avoided with the power of Dr. King's towering moral force? You know, would those things even have been possible with somebody with that kind of moral power and, and courage to speak and fight against them? Well, I, it's a very interesting um, question to think about. And, you know, let me let me be up front and say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if, if you know, we, we, who could know that? But to think about it um, um, makes me think about the king that we don't quote. Um, what is not remembered you know, you you talk about his his speech at Riverside Church. In fact, he 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 delivered that speech, um, and actually, literally, one year before his assassination. So, uh, April fourth, nineteen sixty seven, he was killed in, uh, the same day, nineteen sixty eight, and we don't quote from that um, uh, as much. Um, and I think when thinking about that, I, uh, what you've asked, I think about. Um, in that same year, he 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 was writing a book that got then published and released after his death. So posthumously, they released this book. The name of that book is "Where Do We Go From Here: Chaos or Community?" with a question mark. And I think about that, and it, and you know, here are a couple of quotes. Check this. One thing he said in that book. He said, in the days ahead, we must not consider it unpatriotic to raise certain questions, certain basic questions about our moral national character. Interesting. He said, he said, whites, it must frankly be said who are not putting in a similar mass effort to reeducate themselves out of their racial ignorance. Problematic. He talked about. He talked about. We, we we often reference this in our work. By the way, we we in 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 the um, the, the the poor people's campaign um, that Dr. King 
um, was working on when when he went to work with the sanitation workers in Memphis, and that was when he was uh, assassinated. He was working to and organizing a mass movement and the deployment of multiple thousands of people to Washington, D.C. To, to, to talk about poverty. He said a true revolution of values will soon look uneasy on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. With righteous indignation, it'll look at thousands of working people displaced from their jobs with reduced incomes as a result of automation, while the profits of the employers remain intact. And they'll say when they see that, this is unjust. Mm. So so I think we have, we have a little bit, <laughs> when we think about, Dr. King and what might have what might have been um, the shift of the world if he had lived past 1968. I think we 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 have some evidence that he'd been he'd be working his way. He had begun to be to be clear that r- racial justice was connected to uh, the injustices that 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 poor people were dealing with that those same injustices were connected to um, the big profit machines and the military industrial complex and how that was being preference for entitlement and not people who had the lack of, of resources to take care of themselves. So I, I think we have, there, there, you know, he would, he may be, he may have occupied a space and place that it, we it, it has taken us uh, fifty plus years, nearly sixty years, to maybe start to get ourselves back to that. I mean, many of the mm-hmm. things that he, he prophetically talked about, we are now, right now, in this present moment, uh, grappling with. Um, one other thing I, I, I'll say is, it's not beyond me that we always have an economic boom after we go to war. That, that, that we always have this uptick when, when you know of of money making, and of course, let's really be clear: when we talk about the economy is is doing well, we're talking about rich people are getting richer. It is it is not that that poor people are maintaining themselves and and getting we 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 fought over just could we get a living wage passed. Right. In in uh, in in our state and in in in, in this country, we we're, we're still in the midst of maybe that's not good for business, is what we say. We you don't hear that that argument saying that we can't help but do this because it's good for people. Yeah, well, I, I think you're putting it uh, so really well about what Dr. King was alluding to in his in that book that you mentioned, but also in the speeches that he made late in his life, just before 1968. I mean, when I would look back on the, at some point I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, I used to see Malcolm X on some late night show, like one of these uh, almost shock jock type guys had a TV show, can't remember his name. And he loved to bring Malcolm X on and try to bash him and accuse him of being a black racist. At that time, Malcolm X was uh, committed to uh, Elijah Muhammad, and he was a minister in, in the Muslim movement. And he was arguing from that perspective. And his words were, I'm sure, 
<laughs> very difficult for white people to hear because he was, you know, I think the word white devil was used by him and that kind of thing. But there was something about the way he was able to parry with this right-wing talk show host and make his points. And he used historical reference. He, it wasn't just rave, the ravings of a, of a political fanatic at all. You know, it was, he always had facts, definitions, and historiography to back up what he was saying. And then he would draw his conclusions from it. And then Martin Luther King you know, emerged. And myself, being a bit of a radical, I was thinking back then, you know, during the civil rights movement and the notion of integration, that it's got to be more than that. You know, it's got to be more than black kids are allowed to go to, to all white schools. It's got it's to be a movement that encompasses these issues you just raised about economic equity and the entire swath of social ills that beset this country from well before Dr. King, but also since. And within, you know, 10 years, he had evolved so that that became part of his portfolio. And I'm just, I, I just wonder if you want to reflect on, on the way he changed and evolved in a way, I'm sure that Malcolm and, and Martin would have had a different conversation in 1968 than they might have had in uh, 1955. Yes, I think you're true. They would have had a very different conversation. The two of them only literally met one time. Um, they were in the same place a number of times, but they only really had a, uh, a, a meeting. And there's a, there's a famous picture of, of them where um, Malcolm is walking toward Dr. King and shakes his hand and, and, and photos were taken. Um, and, and I would like to say uh, Martin's dream became a nightmare. <laughs> um, and, 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 and Malcolm's nightmare um, what became or began to change and shift to a, a way in which he could see a world that he had he had not previously been exposed to. His his um, trip to Mecca and his yeah. Hajj uh, actually delivered to him a new sense of humanity, and so I I, I have often re- reflected that Malcolm had moved a little bit closer to Martin while Martin was moving closer to Malcolm mm-hmm. and those that would have represented them as opposing opposites. Um, if you read both of them and, and, and study both of them as they moved to the end of their lives, they were moving more closely and more closely aligned. Uh, and of course, um, um, Malcolm was a bit older than, than Martin, but both died at 39. Uh, and, yeah. and and so that's a very interesting. And both of their public ministries were just brief moments. Um, Dr. King, people forget he was 26 when he arrived in Montgomery as the young preacher at at, at Dexter Avenue Church, and um, uh, and he was 39 when he was assassinated. A ministry of 13 years, mm. yeah. a, a work of 13 years. He said. I, so when I reflect on it. Uh, um, uh, Dr. King said the majority of, of, of Americans are suspended between these two opinions and attitudes. They are uneasy with the un- injustice, but unwilling to pay a significant price to eradicate it. I think that's a very, 
that's that's very different than being judged by the the content of character rather than color of skin, right? Mm-hmm. That's very that's a very different um, uh, a note and 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 a very different latent with with nuance. He he said often white liberals are unaware of their prejudices and their latent racism. That's not the dreaming king. That's the call. That's called to be accountable king, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So for for me, I think about Dr. King. You know, and reflecting on, you know, these next few weeks, where we're, you know, those of us who are engaged uh, and involved uh, in in the community and in the struggle, we'll, we'll be tapped to, to make speeches. We'll be tapped to be a part of conversations and panels, and um, we'll be we'll be talking about you know Black history. And now it's gotten really very commercial, you know, Pepsi and all the Pepsi and Coca Cola and all the major brands will have their their Black History Month, whatever. You know, um, I, 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 I think about what does it really mean uh, and how does change really occur in our communities and in our world uh, and, and in this country specifically when we can't even acknowledge when we when we first claim that critical race theory, that there's something in latently it wrong and inherently wrong when, you know, we don't want to feel bad. <laughs> So that's that's critical race theory when we don't even know what critical race theory is even actually about. Right. And so I, I, I find it I find it and that we're uncomfortable if that were the truth. Let's say that's the truth. Right. It's our history. It's yeah. our history that this country was built on the backs of, of unpaid, brutally experienced system of chattel slavery. That's what this country is built on. And those of us, those who uh, are descendants of those who were in the North are just as much to blame because those folks supported this system in the South and made the money uh, from it. And it was that money that, that built, that wealth that was accrued, built the Industrial Revolution in this country. Um, that's a historical fact. Yeah. That's not mythologizing. And we and we got to reckon with that. I'll say one more thing. I know we're at the end of our time, but I'll say one more thing. Dr. King, when he when he said in this book, again, Chaos or Community, he said, often the line of progress is never straight. For a period, uh, a movement may follow a straight line and then it encounters obstacles and paths bend. He said, it's like curving around a mountain when you are approaching a city. Often it feels as if through, though you may be moving, it feels like you might be moving backwards or you may lose sight of your, go- of your goal, but in fact, you are moving ahead and soon you will see the city again and be closer to it. And I think, I think for us, um, and as I remember Dr. King, and I'm now I'm re- thinking about your question about Dr. King and what would our world have been um, had he lived longer? Uh, I don't know that answer, but I certainly am, am, am you know, get a sense um, from from his book that there were things he was willing to talk about and raise. And I would have loved the the, the, the him out there on the lecture circuit talking mm-hmm. about this book, right? Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. how how might they have been promoting this book? After having just, pro- they would have prosecuted the Poor People's Campaign. They would have descended on Washington D.C. that May, right? 
And 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 that was an election year, by the way. Robert Kennedy was was picking up steam. Uh, what would have been what would have been that lecture circuit and that next six months from May to November? Um, and uh, you know, that, I, I think about that, and um, I pray that we can we can in 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 some way. And I'm a person of faith, and so I still I do have a, a sense of hope and a sense of. Um, that that in our humanity, our humanness, right? You know, um, we can learn. Um, I said this is my last quote from King. He said, uh, "Let us be those creative dissenters who will call our beloved nation to a higher destiny, to a new plateau of compassion, to a more noble expression of humanness." And I, that's my prayer that that we somehow can rise out of. The, the, the quagmire and the sheer lunacy of, of a year ago and the insurrection that occurred at the, 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 our nation's capital mm. to a place where we can have a, uh, an expression of humanity and humanness that's greater than what we are living through and what we have lived through. Well, our conversation with uh, the right Reverend Dr. John Selders is coming to an end, but There are a couple more things I want to ask you. The words you have just spoken are so powerful because you brought together so much of the type of thing, as I was saying before, that people don't know about what Martin Luther King's, his development as a a political leader and a religious leader, a civil rights leader, but also a social justice leader. And you stated it so eloquently. And by choosing those quotes uh, that most people have not encountered, including myself, actually, some of them, th- that was so helpful to me and I hope to uh, other people who are studying this issue. And this is the first day of WPKN's celebration of Black History Month. And I'm so delighted that we have uh, Bishop Selders here to kick it off. Certainly, this is a great way to bring us to the close of this evening. Bishop Selders, I did want to get your perspective on this battle to make the next Supreme Court appointment. So, of course, I have opinions uh, <laughs> about, about it all. What I, what I will say, um, I like um, the list of the short list that I have heard many a pundit over the last week uh, since um the Justice Breyer's an, an announcement that he was going to retire. Um, I, I, I love, I like, and love all of the the, the black women who have been lifted up um, for 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 all the many reasons that we have. I think what we are facing um, is is been this interesting moment that has often occurred in our history. If you if you step back in time, I love viewing. Um, by the way, I love doing history and taking a note. Uh, I think we had one of our presidents says that, saying that if you don't look at history and learn from it, you, you're going to repeat it, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're going to repeat the bad stuff. Let's look at the bad stuff and learn from it. Um, and, and, and let's take a, just take a note that when there have been advances um, uh, from the margined community, when there have been um, um, successes, when there have been wins, let's let's take notably um, the Civil War, right? We get the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment of the Constitution. Um, we get we end slavery, right? We get we get the 14th Amendment, the, the phrase um, uh, that 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 shifted 
um, how we do things, at least in rhetorically in this country, separate. We we we, we get um, 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 uh, the 14th Amendment that that helps us think about um, what it what it feels like and, and looks like legally to have citizenship. Right. That's that's what the 14th Amendment was, was all about. Equal protection under the law is the phrase. Right. That now everybody um, chimes in that if, and we don't recognize or even give uh, give homage to or tribute to. That was talking about black people. Equal protection under the law or the the, the 15th Amendment, um, which was the, 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 the voting rights of black folk. And of course, it was black men at the time. Um, uh, and within just a few years. We, we we rolled back into you know um, that period of time ended um, and 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 by that was what the end of the civil war is eighteen sixty five by eighteen ninety five ninety six we get uh, Plessy versus Ferguson right. and we get separate but equal right and we lived another sixty years in the in in the backlash of what was quote a movement forward. And so we get we get the, the the end of slavery, right? And we get we get this movement put politically, economically, the growth of black communities, their entry into politics and into business and into freedom and liberty and justice for all. And within a few years we 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 recreate what had been created, and we reestablished the, the lines of power and authority, uh, and and continue to do that. That was just then. We do the, We did the same thing. The 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 storm of movement that this the classic modern day civil rights movement uh, unleashed on this country. And we have John Ehrlichman who who finally told us in you know as they were working on the Nixon campaign in 1968 that they had to do something between the hippies. And the black people, they were going to kill us, he said. And so we get him truth-telling now at the end of his life. And, and they had to criminalize. They, they had to find a way because they couldn't very well criminalize the anti-war movement or the movement for equality and, and justice for black people. They couldn't make that criminal. But what they could do is make criminal marijuana and heroin. And they could then make sure it's accessible to the hippies, marijuana and heroin accessible to black folk in black community and then criminalize that. And we get the first beginning movement of the war on crime that then became the, 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 the war on drugs that became the war on crime. Right. So there's been this there's always a backlash. We get a black president who, who got us the Affordable Care Act and bought nothing else. Right. That, I mean, yeah. that was his major win in, in, in political legislative talk. And, and then and then we get stagnation. But just his symbol of being the, 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 the leader of the free world got us, uh, I think, in many ways, who we who we had for four years in in, in the guy. Yeah. Uh, I can't hardly call his name. So um, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, 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 but 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 we get that. Right. And we get we get. Yeah. We get that as a backlash. So, um, my, my, I do, I, I do have great concerns um, about what, what exists today. And I also will say, this is my note that Dr. King said, 
and he said this, he outlined this in in um, his letter from a Birmingham jail. He said, it's not, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not the Klan I'm worried about, right? Because they, they, you know, you know where they are. It's when good people sit back and say or do nothing. That's who I worry about. <laughs> that it is the complacency of folk, of good folk, quote, who said, yeah, isn't that terrible? But then they do nothing about it. They show no action. Um, I'm a faith person, so I'm going to quote a little Bible for you. Faith without works is dead, mm-hmm. right? So you have great faith to move mountains, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if that is not embodied, Frederick Douglass said, you know, years, years, de- de- decades, decades ago, he said, I prayed for 20 years and nothing happened <laughs> until I started praying with my legs. <laughs> right mm-hmm. and so my 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 word around that is it, it's great to have a be moved with compassion but that compassion that movement of compassion must then become as dr king noted a creative descent right and that create creative descent then has some action items to 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 be to be initiated and actualized, and we've got to we got to get busy. It's not, it's not the time now to lay in our complacency and say, "Oh, that could never happen," when in fact it did happen. And yeah. here we are. All right. Yes, indeed, Bishop John Selders. What a an auspicious way, an inspiring way for us to kick off our Black History Month celebration here at WPKN. It's so great to talk to you, having these conversations, which in which I learned so much and just get this injection of energy and, and a sense of mission that we need to be, have refreshed in us frequently, the way a, like a, an electric-powered vehicle needs to stop every uh, 150 miles and, and plug in, you know. Well, you're one of those charging stations, and you're doing it for me tonight. I hope our listeners are feeling similarly. So let me thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking time to do this tonight. And let's not make it the last time by any means. There's so much to talk about and things are moving very fast. We touched on probably a third of the things that we could have talked about tonight. So let's try to do it again sooner. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. And and um, blessings to you all. And, 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 and listen, let's actualize that those of us who are persons of faith, let's just don't pray. Let's pray with our legs. Good way to say it. All right. Dr. Selders, thank you so much and good night. Good night. That's Bishop John Selders, who is the ordained minister serving in the United Church of Christ. He's the organizing pastor of the Amistad United Church of Christ in Hartford. He's the co-founder of Moral Mondays Connecticut, and they do have a website. Just search for it. Just write in Moral Mondays Connecticut in Google, and you'll find their site. He now is the Assistant Dean of Students and Coordinator of Community Standards at Trinity College. As I said, we've had uh, Dr. Selders on several times, but this, I think, was a truly great way to kick off this month of uh, celebration. Real true love, people love.